0: I'll never go back to a turkey shed, which is where me and my mom had to live, in gang-infested neighborhood, hearing gunshots at night, and having drug-dealing murderers all around me.
1: My name is Dan J. Gregory, and I am committed to hunting down the secrets of business mastery and human performance. My goal for the Unstoppable podcast is to share insights from some of the most successful entrepreneurs, inspiring thought leaders, world-class athletes, and prominent celebrities to help you to become unstoppable in business and life. Each week, I'll be bringing you a new interview with an inspiring person and sharing my own results as I pursue the answer to the question, how can I create the ultimate edge of my business, make a significant impact, and live an extraordinary life? Welcome to episode 68 of the Unstoppable podcast. Our VIP special guest today is a New York Times number one best-selling author, self-made multimillionaire and serial entrepreneur who established his first company when he was just 21 years old. And he has since created and actively invested in multiple startups. And now at the age of just 39 years old, he has founded and sold numerous businesses for hundreds of millions of dollars. He runs global healthy lifestyle company Vysalis and he has a venture capital fund called Hashtag One. Our special guest today, ladies and gentlemen, is Mr. Ryan Blair. This episode is dedicated to my dear friend Stefan Otto, who sadly passed away on the 15th of August of this year. Stefan was one of the most passionate, kind-hearted, and inspirational characters that I've ever met. I only knew him very briefly, but the rare moments that we spent together were profound. And I've chosen to dedicate this specific episode to Stefan because he was an avid promoter of the Visalis Challenge and a huge fan of Ryan Blair's work. It might not be apt for me to hold a minute silence for Stefan right here at the beginning of the podcast, nor would Stefan want me to. He'd be equally hungry to hear from Ryan as I am, but if you would like to join me in paying your respects to Stefan, I'll be holding a minute silence to him at the very end of this episode before the outro music kicks in. Even if you did not know Stefan personally, I encourage you to take the time with me to reflect upon everything that you're grateful for and the special people who are in your life right now. Righto, let's raise the game. Let's kick back into today's episode. On Monday's solo round, I brought you an episode entitled Work Less, Win More, and shared a simple five step process to simplify your business and your life based upon the 80 20 rule. It's one of the most powerful episodes I've recorded yet, so be sure to check it out right after today's show if you haven't done so already. In today's episode, you'll hear Ryan Blair's incredible story how he rose from a challenging youth to becoming a thriving businessman. On October the 4th, 2016, Ryan will launch his brand new book, Rock Bottom to Rock Star: Lessons from the Business School of Hard Knocks, which explores how he rose to the top and shares his personal formula from going from rock bottom to rock star to be the absolute best at what you do. In today's episode, we dive into Ryan's incredible journey of overcoming adversity to becoming a modern-day business icon. You're going to learn some of his key principles for success and some specific strategies that Ryan has used to build an incredible business empire. Are you ready to rock? Introducing Mr. Ryan Blair. Ryan, welcome to the Unstoppable podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. The Unstoppable podcast is all about looking into people rather than looking up to people so we can share the wisdom that helps people to unleash their own greatness, to build their own impact, to, 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 to make their empire in the world and make their difference and live their ultimate life. So it's a real pleasure to have you here in this 45-minute 40, slot. It's all about delving into how this man here, Ryan, has created this amazing empire with his business and how what we can learn uh, from, from your journey. And I, I'm really excited for the show.
0: Thank you. I'm excited
1: too. So before we start, I've got a little something for you. You ready? Okay, let's go.
0: Ah, you know this tune? Yeah, Simple Man. Simple Man, yeah. I, do, I do my research. Yeah.
1: I heard you listen to this every time you, uh, you go on yeah. stage.
0: Yeah, you know, it's uh, every time I go on stage, uh, when I write for the audience, you know, uh, you know, my mother was in a coma for two years, and I, you, you try to find songs, or at least I do anyways, but I think it's common. You know, we all find a breakup song, or we find a song that represents the loss of a loved one, or perhaps a song that represents a great time in our lives. And Simple Man was the one uh, that I would play on repeat, uh, and I still do to this day. Uh, my mother's still very ill, but, you know, she's come a long way, and so I play that song daily. Awesome. Well, the, uh, the... Yeah, thank you. Nice. It's, a, it's a joyous song for me, though, I'll tell you. You just, you just set me in the right state. Thank you.
1: That's what it was all about. And uh, yeah, Like I said, you know, I know we spoke about your mother before you show, all the thoughts and prayers for all the listeners are with you, so thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Cool, brother. So let's start off. Could you kick off by just talking us a little bit about what your business responsibilities are right now? I know you're a man of you know, many business interests, but what are your responsibilities right now?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> well, one, the, the best way to describe it, and for your audience that uh, watches business, um, you know, Google, which is a company that uh, we have a lot of admiration for and we've utilized a fair amount, and I, I know a lot of the people over there, they set up a, a fund structure called Alphabet, and so Google is the engine that powers Alphabet. Now, uh, we used a similar uh, concept in 2011. We set up a fund called Hashtag One. And Hashtag One is powered by Visalis, meaning, you know, the infrastructure that we built in Visalis, the hundreds of millions of dollars that, that we've been able to invest in, you know, our, our information technology and software and all those other things, as well as our deep knowledge of consumer products, and our deep knowledge of, of uh, distribution of those consumer products on a global basis uh, then pairs uh, lends itself well to our other investments. And so we've invested in a number of companies, the ones that you might know across the pond. I know your listeners are from all over the place, but we invested in Elite Daily, for example, nice. which became the number one uh, millennial uh, um, site, something like 80 million uniques a month. We've invested in a company called Heal recently alongside Larry Ellison and Thomas Toll, wow. marquee. Uh, investors. Uh, And then we've invested in some moon shoots, much like the Alphabet Google model, where, you know, sometimes they don't work out, but we learn something. Um, But so right now, what I, my responsibility is in essence to work with entrepreneurs. Uh, And that's why I write books is because I want to find new entrepreneurs or inspire new ideas. And in essence, I want to be, you know, as Sean Parker was to Mark Zuckerberg, I want to be that to the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg, because I've worked with a lot of venture capitalists in my life. And I've found that a lot of them don't have really the entrepreneur's uh, interests in mind. They have simply their investment interest in mind, which is there's nothing wrong with that. That's their job. I like to kind of play both sides of the fence, help the entrepreneur figure out how to build their business, and then hope, hopefully make sure that I get an adequate return in the process and learn something, most importantly, that I could apply to other endeavors.
1: Awesome. And it, I think the conversation we're having right now is probably very different to perhaps one of the conversations we may have had, say, 20 years ago. I, I know life started out yeah. very different for you. Yeah. Could, could you describe what your life was like prior to starting this entrepreneurial journey that you began on?
0: Yeah. Well, 20 years ago, in fact, in October, I started as an entrepreneur. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's 1996. Um, uh, and in fact, my incorporation date was actually, I started as an engineer in 96. So my career started, and then I became an entrepreneur in 99. Um, so for, ever, for those of you on the phone here that don't know my story, um, when I was a kid, uh, well, I, I'll go way back. Uh, my father was an engineer, a brilliant person. Uh, he really had a huge appetite for reading and, uh, he was wicked intelligent, but he was also a veteran in the, the Vietnam war and he was him and him and his twin brother, my, other uncle, or my uncle and my grandfather, or I'm sorry, my uncle and my father were Purple Heart injured veterans, and uh, they had a lot of emotional damages as a result of it. My father took those damages to the extreme. I'm not an excuse driven person, but he left the family at 13 years old. I'm the youngest of six. Uh, and as a result, my poor mother, who uh, became a single mother out of nowhere, uh, not only did she suffer his violent Uh, Traumatic beatings and abuse and all the the terrible violence that he unleashed on her and and the kids Uh, But you know, she now had to find herself working minimum wage in a deli in a poor neighborhood He disappeared at 13 never gave a dollar of child support never called never wished happy birthday, you know, he was gone Um, And so I know all too well what it's like to see a family uh, be disintegrated when one of the the, you know, the chief providers and caregivers Mm -hmm. disappears and we were in the middle class. Um, and so in the middle class as a kid, you know, I valued things like the toys I got at Christmas, the yeah. new bike that I wanted, the new clothes for school year. Um, I valued the house that we lived in. I valued my friendships that were on the block. I valued being able to play Basketball in the front yard, you know being able to kick a soccer ball down the street. or you guys call it football over there um, Right, so you know all those little middle-class values were ripped away from me and next, thing you know, I'm in poverty mm. My my sister my nearest sibling. She's five years older than I am uh, She was heavily involved in gang activity her um, Her father which was a different father than I my father uh, Is a Latin individual and we were smack dad in a Latin community after we went into poverty My sister joined the gang uh, her best friend, Jennifer Jordan, my first crush, was murdered in a drive-by shooting. The next thing you know, at 14 years old, I'm being uh, forced into a gang in a retaliatory effort uh, and in an effort to protect ourselves because, you know, drive-bys were happening on our street. Uh, for those of you not familiar, a drive-by shooting is something that became very prominent in the gang culture of the early 90s, especially in Los Angeles which is where I grew up. I, I was born in Torrance. and grew up in uh, Ventura County, which is just about 30, mi- 30 minutes outside of the, heart of, uh, of the heart of Los Angeles. And you know, gang culture spread everywhere. There was lots of violence, lots of murders, and lots of uh, crime. That said, the, I wasn't a, a violent person. I wasn't a murderous person. I was raised very spiritually by my grandmother. Up until the day my father left, I'd never even thought about doing any of the things or being involved with any of the characters that I you know, was literally forced to be involved with. But uh, my my racket was uh, stealing computers, and uh, I had to learn how to program them. And it turned out, as, as fate would have it, or if you're spiritual or not, um, uh, learning to program computers in the early '90s became a great profession in the mid and late '90s, and now it's an even mm-hmm. greater profession. Mm-hmm. And so, by the grace of God, I just I got these skills that they, you know I was a high school dropout, but I knew computer sciences better than any of the teachers because they had yet to even have computers in the classroom at that point. <laughs> nice. Um, and I loved it. And uh, so, yeah, so I, um, uh, you know, having gone through the gang environment, um, I, I uh, ended up getting in a lot of trouble for theft, uh, ended up uh, uh, facing a four year sentence. And, and, um, and I wrote to a judge named Judge Perrin. Uh, and I remember writing it over and over. Now, those of you who don't know who I am or know my, my background. I have uh, ADD. I have dyslexia. I was held back in the second grade. I was never considered um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a good student by any means whatsoever. I couldn't pass a math test. I was terrible at, at writing in English. Uh, but I somehow overcompensated with those, um, challenges to learn certain things. Like I could learn computer, you know, coding or programming, and I could learn how to reverse engineer mechanically a computer, you know, take it apart, put it back together. And I also learned how to articulate, uh, at a, at an interesting pace because I wasn't using a pen or I wasn't using, you know, um, traditional ways, I would just retain it auditorily. And mm-hmm. so I basically wrote to the judge, uh, a hundred letters, uh, had the, the wardens, uh, and the, the, the caregivers inside the uh, juvenile detention facility. Uh, I don't know if you call them caregivers or the people that were there to, you know, to yeah. babysit us yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and keep us from killing each other. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I helped, they helped me correct it. And then I presented it to the judge and the judge said, Ryan, you should be writing in college, not in prison. Uh, and when that happened, I thought to myself, maybe I am a writer. Maybe, Mm. maybe I could be a writer. Maybe I could go to college. And that became, you know, a journey for me or the beginning of it, where I said, I don't want to go to prison for the rest of my life. I just got leniency. And the deal I had made with the judge was I won't be back in front of him. And he, he told me you better honor that deal or you're going away, buddy. And, uh, from that point forward, I started writing and everything, everything that I do now is a product of that. Like I, I write business plans, I write job descriptions, I write, um, you know stories, and I write books, and I write the film. I write documentary films. I mean, I write all kinds of things. Wow. So That's kind of the long and short of it, and how I got to where I am today. Awesome! Yeah, I want, I want to explore a bit further in terms because yeah, you,
1: you, know, you, you know, everyone's background shapes them in different ways, and I know you speak about you know finding the advantages from from the adversity. So yeah. for, some of those early challenges that you had. What are some of the advantages you've taken forward with you? Because, you know, there's many people who've probably had similar backgrounds to, to yourself, but they've gone a very different path. And, you know, you've yeah. gone on to excel and achieve at the highest level, the elite level. So what are some yeah. of the things that you've taken from that kind of environment forward into your life that's been a positive advantage?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, so I guess for one, I'm, uh, when, you're, when you're faced with major traumas, you have, uh, you have to develop different skills and coping skills for one. But y'all, you know, and sometimes people don't like I, I through trial and error and process of elimination, I've got to where I am today. So it's not a matter of, you know, I'm some gifted person. Uh, in fact, I'm, 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 the way I think, for example, is probably a lot differently than the way other people think. And the way I think would not serve necessarily everyone. Right. Like, you know, uh, in many cases, like Elon Musk, for example, he often says that the way he thinks. Uh, And the way he acts doesn't necessarily uh, conducive is not very conducive to relationships, for example. So there's there's plenty of pros and cons to everything. Uh, I think the number one learning I've learned is you just got to figure out what you're really going to what you're good at, what you love. And then you got to figure out how to put yourself in that position constantly against your own um, uh, either uh, uh, self-imposed shortcomings or against things outside of your control, for example, the economy, the environment, Brexit, whatever it is that's going on, yeah. you got to basically say there's things I can't control and there's things I can't. And the things you can control, you got to get good at how you control them. And for example, you know, um, uh, having gone through a lot of adversity, I, I had a real simple uh, belief system uh, in starting my businesses which was, I'll never go back to a turkey shed, which is where me and my mom had to live, right. in a gang, in gang-infested neighborhood, hearing gunshots at night, uh, and, you know, and, and having drug-dealing murders all around me. Like, I knew if I failed at business, that's why I titled my book, Nothing to Lose. Worst case scenario, I'm living in an apartment somewhere in a, in a relatively, you know, safe neighborhood. Best case scenario, I'm living in a mansion, you know, in the Hollywood Hills Um, and so, you know, I I just realized that, that I had nothing to lose and I had everything to gain. And that was one of the positive, you know, attitudes and mindsets and belief systems that I adopted. Now I'll tell you after I became wealthy, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot easier said than done to have a, uh, you know, to have a nothing to lose mindset once you've got some money or once you're firmly in the middle class, for example, it's hard to say, you know what, I'll risk this house and I'll risk it all in order to start a business. So I've, I've learned a lot along the way and I've got lots of teach and share and, that's why I love what I, what I do is I get to teach people based on my unique experiences.
1: Awesome. So when you had that, you know, you, talk, you spoke about having that time where, you know, you had the computers and you learned the coding. Yeah. When, when did it become apparent? What inspired you that you were going to become an entrepreneur? When did you make that decision?
0: Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I, I got a job working for, I wanted to get a job in a data center uh, and I applied for it and they said I didn't have the, you know, the, the skills for it yet. And so they gave me a job in the call center of the company. And uh, and I would you know peek. I'd, I'd see the guys and observe the guys that were working in the data center. Uh, and I would uh, I would try to meet them and talk to them. And of course, these were all very stuck-up technical people that did not want to talk to the call center employees. But that said, I you know I probe them. I'd ask questions, and I'd get books from the data center and I'd read them. And I'd try to master the subject of computer science uh, as best I could at that time. Now, bear in mind, this is 1996. Uh, and so, you know, the whole world that we live in today had yet to be constructed. There was no broadband wireless. There was no high speed Internet. Uh, there was the Internet was just brand new. People were not communicating on email addresses. There was no SMS. Cell phones were a luxury I- I at that. You know, most people did not have them. So this entire 20 year journey in my career and all the infrastructure that's been supported uh, was not there. Um, I, I was at uh, I was asked to, after I got so I, from the call center. I went to the Dave Center. Um, I had leadership skills, though, because when you run a gang uh, and you're in (laughs) a gang, you learn how to lead people. Yeah, So I had these skills where one of the things that that I learned is, um, and I I took a a test called Strength Finder not too long ago, and I'm I'm not affiliated with them whatsoever. I don't make money by promoting this uh, for your audience to hear. But it gives you an assessment of your strengths. And one of my strengths is command, which means taking command of a situation. And when you have a data center, for example, where, you know, servers are crashing and companies losing, you know, thousands of dollars an hour and the power's out, which at that time we had, you know, computers crashed all the time. The power would go out all the time because infrastructure to support, you know, massive amounts of computers had yet to really uh, be established in the best practices thereof. So in essence, you know, I would take command. And by taking command of the situation and using a real triage approach, you know, like you know, like to use a, a doctor analogy, if the patient's bleeding, somebody put their finger in the hole now and then we'll figure out why the patient's bleeding, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I had that mindset. and next thing you know, I'm, I'm the manager of the data center. And then next thing you know, I have, you know, maybe 15 people working for me. And then they put me in charge of the, the software development division, which then I had about 100 people or 60 people working for me. And then, uh, then they bought a company because the company was a rapid growing company. They bought a company called Gaming Systems International, and then they asked me to help develop the product uh, and then sell the product. And I, I'll never forget, I was on my first airplane ride ever. Uh, and I'd never, you know, growing up in a poor town in Los Angeles, you don't get on airplanes. You don't travel much outside, you know, a few uh, kilometer radius of where you're, you're Um, you know where you're at I mean you pretty much stay to your street as much as possible uh, because that's your protection zone Yep. and um, and next thing you know I'm flying to a a casino I sit down with the the executives Um, they're doing a multi-million dollar deal they're using me to design the product develop the product explain the engineering behind it and I saw the salesman and the entrepreneur in the room get all the money and I made the decision at that point that I was gonna you know I, I didn't have to I didn't need them to create products that provided value and to be able to do it myself. And so I ventured off into 24-7 tech in 1999. So keep in mind, 96 is when I started my career. 99 is when I incorporated, I left in about 2000. And when I left, I was already making $100,000 a year uh, as, a, as a, you know, a very solid software engineer. Uh, and I'd made some good investment decisions uh, because at that time, the stock market was high-flying with all mm. the new internet stocks. Sure. So I, I probably started my venture uh, into entrepreneurship uh, firmly in the middle class, that's for sure. I built my way there. And, um, and uh, you know, and I, I just basically said, eh, if I could get there in three to five years, you know, um, I'll risk it all and see if I can get past it. Because I always thought the middle class was was the scariest place, having had yes. it ripped away from me. Yeah. So,
1: so when, you, when, you, when you start that first business... Were you, commit, were you all in then? Was that your path laid out? Were you committed to becoming an entrepreneur at that point? Or was it, I'm going I'm I'm to try this because what I've seen is these guys are taking all the cash and there's an opportunity for me yeah. here.
0: Yeah. I, I, so I, I did it at night. Um, I built my business plan in the hours at night. Now, I used to be a sports fanatic. I would watch sports every Sunday, every day I possibly could. And I realized, hey, this is me watching other people make money. So I'm going to shut off the TV. I'm going to shut off sports. And I'm going to sit in my office uh, my home office at that time and I'm going to whiteboard it out with these cheesy whiteboards everywhere. I mean, it was like, you know, like you, you should have seen it. It was not pretty <laughs> and I'm just going to write a business plan and I, and I had no idea how to do that. So I started asking people for help. I found a few people that would give me pointers. I I, I bought some books on the subject. Um, and my first business plan looking at it, excuse me, looking at it today, I was, a I was green, you know, the expression, uh, about being, you know, yes. uh, less than, uh, Less than sophisticated, but I wrote it. I got in front of people and I continued to um, Take meetings and and try to build it. I also I also knew that I had I I saved up six months in the bank And so my thought process was once I get my myself to full-time income I think at the time I needed to make four to five thousand a month net Mm. uh, us um, in order for me to be able to quit my job and do this full-time and I needed to have at least six months saved up in the event that I got it wrong. I'd have six months to get there. And then I could go get another job in the event that, uh, you know, that my business failed. So it wasn't a, you know, a, a, an epiphany where I knew I was going to be Mozart and I just basically started playing the piano. That wasn't <laughs> the case. It was more of a, I had a plan. I took a, I took a very conservative step in the right direction. And then once I took that step, you know, I didn't look back.
1: Cool. So I, I know in the book, you know, we, we're coming to talk about the book in a moment, but you walk quite comprehensively through the kind of the journey that you took from that first company and onto your next company and, and, and beyond. Could you yeah. give like a cliff notes, whistle stop tour of yeah. your career today? I know because it's, it's, a, it's a big story, but I really want to get into the, some yeah. of the, the book, but it'd be cool to get a kind of an overview.
0: Yeah. So the first company I started was called 24-7 Tech. Uh, if your network is a wreck call 24 seven tech was the byline. Nice. Uh, and the whole idea was I used to get calls when I ran and operated a data center, I used to get calls 24 hours a day, seven days a week with computer crashes and alerts and alarms. And, uh, and I thought, huh, I could provide this service. Cause I know there's a lot of people like me that don't want to wake up, you know, all hours of the night to drive into the office to you know, reboot a computer. Um, so I started that service. Uh, uh, and then I realized it wasn't very scale- scalable and I did not want to stay up 24 hours a day, seven days a week working on people's computers. Um, I was in essence in the business of trading time for money. Um, and that's not a scalable activity. And so, uh, but during that business, 24 seven tech, I stumbled upon a, a project by the U S Navy where they wanted to do ship to shore wireless evaluation to see if it was commercial because the Navy had extreme expenses to fly helicopters to their ships to retrieve data and then fly it back to the base to analyze it. So uh, we live in, in California. There's a, there's a missile defense system base uh, and, uh, and the Navy commissioned me to do a survey. Uh, and I saw there was no commercial uh, availability of such a service. Um, and then I had stumbled upon an entrepreneur in Santa Barbara, California, who had built a simple wireless service for one, one or two customers and one in 10 on top of a mountain. I bought his company for $15,000. I named it Sky Pipeline. And then I built Sky Pipeline over three years to a $25 million exit. I didn't get all $25 million, but when I was 24 years old, it felt like I did. Yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then uh, I'm actually looking outside my house in the Hollywood Hills now at a Sky Pipeline antenna tower, which is kind of cool because that was, you know, 2004 when I sold it uh, 12 years ago. But that said, uh, Sky Pipeline, you know, the venture capitalist, that I got to invest, they were all customers. So they, you know, if a person wanted service, and I found out that they were rich, I would I would be there to install it myself with the team. Uh, it turned out like guys like Shaquille O'Neal wanted it, and a variety yeah. of other prominent people. Um, and so, anytime I found out who the person was, if they could provide some value to me, I would show up and provide you know the best service possible. And the CEO would come do the install. Uh, I signed up a, a number of venture capitalists and got a number of mentors to not only use a service, but then also invest in the company. But then, you know, they venture capitalists know how to make their money and they did. So out of the respective $25 million deal, they got for hypothetical numbers, 24 of it. I got a million after taxes and a divorce. Uh, I was, I was broke again. And, uh, and from there I had to start over and I actually went bankrupt at that time. Started over though, uh, humbled, mad at myself. Uh, you know, I, I didn't. Uh, I realized that I. I thought I was better than I was, and that you just don't always compound growth year over year over year over year over year, over, year forever. That you're going to have some down years, and that was a really down year period, and actually a couple. Um, I rebounded from that pretty quickly uh, and started a company called Visalis in 2005. Uh, Visalis had modest beginnings uh, with my two co-founders. We bought that company for, well, we I bought the company for seventy five thousand dollars with the two co-founders. Uh, and in 2008, I sold that company. I thought I was going to be just purely a serial entrepreneur buy sell buy sell <laughs> yeah, buy yeah. sell um, In 2008 I sold it. It was August the recession hit in 2009. I sold it in a thirty two point five million dollar deal in 2008 In uh, 2009 the company was worthless. It was out of money out of debt the investors pulled out uh, and I somehow mustered up enough money and energy to keep it alive through the recession and in 2010, we had hit something that was magical. We invented this thing called the Body by Buy 90-Day Challenge. We uh, changed our marketing initiative. We became very customer-centric as opposed to uh, distributor-centric, which is the traditional network marketing direct selling industry. Mm. As a result of our customer focus and using a challenge and then integrating that challenge on social media, and we were the very first to do that. And now you see the Ice Bucket Challenge, or this challenge, or yes. that challenge. Yeah. We were the first to bring challenge to social media, And as a result of that, our business went from zero to, uh, let's see, we did in 2009, we did 9 million, 10, we did 31 million, 11, we did 231 million, 12, we did 624 million. uh, And then in 12, I sold it for 792.4 million uh, plus, 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 plus. plus, Yes. And uh, started my fund in 2011, hashtag one, to make investments knowing that I had this sale happening. Uh, and I've started investing. And then now in 2014, I bought back my Salus and I've since invested in a number of different initiatives and causes and I've done acquisitions and all kinds of stuff like that. Awesome. Oh, was that a, was that a whistle stop? Yeah. That's awesome. what, what oh, wait, a- I wrote a best-selling book called nothing to lose everything to gang along the way. And my next book, uh, uh, rock bomb to Rockstar comes out October 4th. <laughs> yes.
1: So now, with the book, Ryan, what what inspired the second book? Because obviously, the first book, New York Times bestseller, very successful book. What was the inspiration behind writing the next book?
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I always get that. Um, so, and I, I learned something really interesting about myself um, when when I I've been building Visalus. I had to move into a real operational role because I had a guaranteed earnout that was eight times my profit, uh, and I knew that the profit was growing, and I knew that you know, wow, this could make me eternally rich. And at the period of time, nothing to lose dropped in, uh, eight, four 2011. So, uh, it's an important date for me because that was the very day that I found out that my son had autism, mm-hmm. uh, and he was two years old. And in fact, in the documentary that I, that I gave away for free on YouTube, you can actually see me learning for the first time and the look in my eyes that, wow, my son, who I'd been deeply, deeply worried about had autism. And, you know, and, uh, you know, you can see me holding back the tears. The very moment I learned I was a New York Times bestselling author, which for a kid who dropped out of high school, you know, in ninth grade, who, you know, never could pass a reading or a, a writing proficiency test to be considered a good you know writer uh, was very important to me to, you know, to to share that story, yes. to help others. Um, I also got custodianship of my mother who had fallen down a flight of stairs in March of 2010. Uh, and she was, uh, a vegetable. She, um, you know, was, was in gruesome shape and a lot of pain and, you know, I mean, a gruesome environment. She had hit her head and uh, after falling down a flight of stairs and, um, she was, uh, air vac to a medical center and I never got to talk to my mom again. Uh, and as I'm, uh, my book becomes number one, as, uh, you know, in, in, the New York times, my business skyrockets to, you know, 2 billion almost in cumulative sales. Um, a number of my other investments are taking off my real estate, you know, my whole life goes from being a modestly, well, I was a successful entrepreneur. I'd made millions. I just didn't learn how to keep it, uh, until that point. Uh, and now all of a sudden everything's different. And that's what I cover in the next book is the decisions that I made along the way, the internal dialogue in my head, uh, how I got through personal adversity with my son and with my mother and my, the breakup of my family and all the other things that were occurring and still managed to keep it together. And then most importantly is not only the story is the narrative, but then the actual compartmentalization that I utilized, the techniques and, and the letters that I wrote to my son during those periods of time. Because my mission with this is, you know, with rock bottom, to, with, I guess with nothing to lose and everything to nothing to lose, everything to gain, it was more about how I did it. I did have some prescriptive advice, but this is about how people that are at rock bottom, as I was, as it related to my mother, or as I was, as it related to my son in that moment, you know, how you can use that to shape you and to strengthen you and to grow you and how, you know, when you look back at those moments a year from now, two years from now, or three years from now. And as, as we discussed earlier, you know, my mom is in the ICU right now and Mm. I may get off this podcast and and find out that she's gone, but the tools and techniques that I've developed uh, internally, just give me a courage to handle that and to also, you know, and I feel, I'll feel it like, believe me, I'll cry over this a lot yeah. and I, all night long. So it's not like I'm emotionalist. I just know how to open up compartments, focus with extreme focus, particularly in the times of either very difficult, tra- you know, decisions to make, whether it be personally or professionally, and then close that compartment and then maybe grieve and then close that compartment and then get back to work with my son on his autism. Cause you can't let things, you know, take away from everything else because as a CEO and a, an entrepreneur of a you know fairly large uh, portfolio of companies, I can't I can't let down the thousand families that I support or the many thousands indirectly uh, by having my family take all the energy away from me and 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 you know and I'll feel it and it will hit, but you know you got to have tools and techniques to manage that if you truly want to get through life and have fulfillment and and, and the reason why is because every one of us is going to get hit. With a rock bottom moment as it relates to some family member or something, either self imposed or otherwise. We have no choice, especially in an uncertain environment like we have right now with terrorism and all the things that we're enduring. It's like, it, we don't, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to a lot of us. And so we might as well build the skills, we might as well build the belief systems and build the value systems that when that does happen, we're going to let this strengthen us and not let it take us off.
1: Mm, it sounds like, that command center, that strength, that superpower of yours is, is, is really being a critical component of being able to deal with some of those challenges.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it well, it is, but you know, I'll tell you, uh, it's not easy. I, I may, it's easy for me to get on this phone here and, and talk about the prescriptive advice I have on it. Um, and, but you know, like I, my, I starts with a single fundamental belief system and that is that, uh, what weakens you strengthens you. You know, I use the analogy. It's, you know, I, I work out a ton. I own a health and fitness company. Um, in the event that, you know, you're, you know, when you look at a muscle, you have to tear it down in order to strengthen it up. And when you tear it down, you have to tear it down correctly and then you have to build it up, you know, and you have to heal it. But when it heals, it'll be stronger. The same analogy holds true for a broken bone. If you break a bone and you heal it correctly, it'll be stronger in the place that it broke, Mm -hmm. but you got to heal it correctly. And that's the key. And that's, you know, that's what I write about
1: yes and and, yeah the way you find that strength from those weaknesses is really really inspiring thank Um, you we've talked about some of the kind of rock bottom moments i'm sure you've had some relatively rock star moments as well would you mind sharing some of your rock star moments?
0: yeah well you know i I write about this stuff in the book and there's some you know i i'm not the type of person like if you follow me on social media i'm not you know occasionally you'll see something i'm proud of like my house or a piece of art or something like that yeah or cars you know something like that um and I'm very proud of what I've achieved, but I'm not attached to the materialism of it. I, you know, I, I just bought a cabin up in the mountains and, you know, uh, half of me, uh, you know, as I, last night, we just completed the plans for it. It's, give you an idea. It's, you know, it's uh, it's millions of, of miles as far as the eye could see of just woods and forest and wildlife and everything else. And I've nice. got a writer's cabin on top of a mountain. Nice. Um, and so I'm just as happy there as I am, uh, you know, in a mansion in the Hollywood Hills or wherever else I find myself. The, 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 you know, the, the rockstar moments for me, uh, there's a lot of them that I write about in the book that I, and I write about them because I don't want you to make the same mistakes I've made. Mm-hmm. Like for example, you know, a rockstar moment was buying, um, a challenger, 300 uh, $30 million private jet. Right. And then the rock bottom moment was when I had to sell it when I bought back my company, yes. because I realized that it's not, it, uh, it, that didn't pay the bills. That wasn't going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, be a wise investment, me spending $8,000 an hour, to, or actually it's $6,000 a flight hour, roughly all in, yep. uh, in order for me to travel uh, did not make any sense in comparison to a first class seat, for example, uh, which would cost me, you know, uh, $200 an hour, whatever the number is. So um, uh, there's a lot of mistakes that I made, both financially uh, as a rock star, and then there's some that I made personally. Um, you know, when you have massive success, and, you know, in, for example, we've, in 2012, and I share this story in the book, I sold out American Airlines Arena in Miami, which is a big arena, 18,800 tickets sold. And it was my birthday, July 14th, the day of it. I walk out on stage. The crowd erupts into happy birthday. And, you know, and it didn't really matter what I said after that. They loved me. <laughs> yes. The speech was great. Everybody was happy. I didn't have to prepare. And I walked off the stage, kind of dropped the mic. Thank you very much. And then could do whatever I wanted. Nice. Now, you know, that, that's not how a rock star should behave. A rock star should prepare. A rock star should, you know, I've, I've recently got to observe Madonna, you know, the, the, you yes. know, the, obviously the rock star. Yep. I mean, she is disciplined. She is a perfectionist. She cares about her art. And I realized I was becoming the rock star that I didn't want to become, which is the one that, you know, that, that is just, you know, um, taking it for granted and not practicing my art, not you know, not really focused on my profession because momentum and all the other things had done all the work for me. Now that will, that will fade. You will not always have, you know, like I did 36 months of double digit compounded growth into a billion dollar, you know, worth of deals, right? Like that doesn't happen forever continuously. You got to be prepared for downhands and you also got to humble yourself. And so there's a lot of things I write about rockstar wise, uh, where I do it as a advice, what not to do which is my writing style, you know, and, noth- and uh, nothing to lose. I had a chapter called Million Dollar Mistakes. And That's... in Rock Bob and Rockstar, I talk about some of my $100 million mistakes now. Wow.
1: So there's, there's a couple of things I really want to want to get before we, we go. Let's do it. Um, So, you know, I've watched it. I, I know I've been following your journey for some time. I was even part yeah. of Vaisalas for a little while. I've uh, got a lot of good cool. friends in the company. Um, and I watched a documentary and it's really interesting watching the reactions to all the different scenarios, but there's one in particular I picked up was the, when the first book came out and you know, the you were number two on the New York times bestsellers. It's like, right, that's not good enough. I need number one. Yeah. They had that ferocious competitive drive, insatiable competitive drive. And I was like, I need to find out where that comes from. Could could you describe what creates that kind of hyper competitive
0: drive within you? Yeah. You know, there's, um, uh, there's a few things by it, but the root of competition is generally insecurity um, and you know and the insecurity is uh, you know for example, you know I, or at least for me anyways i don't wake i don't wake up and say hey i 'm better than that person i'm going to go beat' him. my My objective isn't to beat somebody uh, my, it's It's generally looking myself in the mirror and saying i'm not doing enough i'm not good enough i'm not strong enough i'm not making the best decisions i'm not I'm not surrounding myself with the best people, you know whatever the case is. I didn't plan ahead enough. You know, I I have a lot of of weaknesses, that's for sure. So there's certain things that, you know, that that, you know, when I show up to a a book launch like I'm doing now, right as I as we speak, I'm sitting there saying, man, next time around, I'm going to do 100 times better because I didn't plan in advance or I didn't have this vendor lined up to, you know, to plan my bus tour. or I didn't have this. or I didn't have that. So you know, when I, uh, the competitive spirit, uh, is innate in all of us, right? That's just the nature of, 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 you know, of, of, of human beings. Yes. You have to develop it. And then there also is weaknesses to competition. So every strength has a balcony where you're at your best, you know, you're over that balcony and, and you're, you you know, your strength is, is magnified times 10. And it's a, then it also has a basement, which is when, you know, you're in the basement with that. It's so like, for example, competition has a basement and that, you know i might offend a lot of people because of my attitude toward things or or i might uh, people might say you're ungrateful because you debuted number 3 how mm. many people would love to be number 3 on the new york times list and you you know what is wrong with you you know what i mean and yep. uh and people don't understand to me i if i know that i could do better i'm competing against myself and right yes. now even though i'm 39 years old and i'm 20 years in my career i look back and i say my next 20 years, I'm going to be 10 times better because of what I've learned and because I'm competing with myself. I'm not competing with others. So, um, you have to be competitive in this world, especially if you're an entrepreneur. And here's why there are very smart people and companies that are targeting you. They're targeting your customers and they're targeting your business. I'll give you a simple, uh, uh, expression that Jeff, uh, bezos of, of uh, Amazon uh, gave me Jeff Bezos said, "Your margin, meaning you know your profit is my opportunity. so he's going after the the margin in my businesses mm. right He wants those all to be shipped through Amazon, and he wants Amazon to eventually create the products or Amazon to make all the profit now that's a smart guy to have pointing at me now imagine Apple's also pointing at your Customers, they want, they want your, disc- your uh, con- discretionary income to be buying the new iPhone every 18 months for you know, a good fortune. Uh, Facebook wants you to waste all your time on Instagram and all your time on Facebook and on WhatsApp, so that way they can send you advertisements of people uh, that will pay for your time. So your customers and you are being uh, competitively fought for day in, day out by armies of engineers and scientists. And you know, and, and and even, you know, speaking of Google earlier, imagine the amount of intelligence that they're applying to this very podcast to determine how they can either extract advertising revenue or you know, or get your people or or me and you to consume more of their products. And that's the world we live in. So you have to embrace the competitive environment because it is accelerating and it's changing. And industries that once were secure and stable, like for example, the once upon a time, there was millions of people that got paid as professional drivers, whether they be in cabs, black cars, limos, or whatever the case is. Within 10 years, it is a high likelihood that those millions of jobs will be gone altogether with computers doing the driving. So you got you to embrace competition right now. And you got to understand where you are within the competitive uh, you know, matrix, who's going after your job, your customers, and you. And you have to figure out a new you know, a way to embrace that, not not revolt against it. Like there's no point going out there and protesting. The computers are better drivers than humans, and they will eventually figure out a way to do that for us. So that way we minimize traffic accidents and, you know, deaths, right? Mm. So you got to embrace that reality because it's not going to, I mean, it might not be 10 years from now that we have only driverless cars, but certainly in my lifetime, I I imagine seeing that along with driverless planes, along with a variety of other things.
1: Well, I, I think one, there's one more question on the competitive drugs. Yeah. Do, do you remember the moment that that was initially triggered? Do you remember a time in your life where that that really kicked in and that, was, that became
0: part yeah, the of your competitive, identity? Yeah, um, I was made fun of a lot as a kid because I was in um, uh, special education. Um, my I, Being the youngest of six, my brothers and sisters made fun of me a lot. My dad was very, very um, mean, uh, and he would uh, poke at my insecurities constantly. Um, I, I still have insecurities to this day. It's not like I'm, I've cured that. I just know, Hey, that's an insecurity that's making me think this way, or that's, you know, or, or perhaps, you know, if I was more secure, I would have made a better decision. Now, when I say insecurities, you know, insecurity is a good thing to a degree. So like, for example, before I go on stage, you know, I get the butterflies. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there saying, am I going to prov- be able to provide the best service to everyone in this room? You know, am, Is a message going to stick inside these individuals, it helps plant a seed that helps grow them or change them or whatever it is. And so you need to have that element of like, all right, am I doing the best I can? Have I thought this through? You know, am am I applying, you know, um, everything I got and putting everything I got here and, and, and that will help you, you know, be more competitive. But I, I think the, the, uh, the, the thing that really sparked me is I tried out for a, a baseball team as a young kid. Uh, I think I was somewhere around you know, uh, eighth grade or sixth grade. Actually, no, maybe you know, really young, say 10 or 11, 9, 10, 11. Um, and uh, they, they, I, I didn't make the team. And you know, I was that bad. And I remember thinking to myself, how embarrassing. You know, the kids in my neighborhood made it. And I was like the worst kid on the field. And I remember taking a ball and throwing against uh, it was baseball and throwing yeah. against the, the, the front wall of uh, there's a brick wall in front of our house and just fielding grounders and, you know, throwing the ball. And, and then I got uh, a string and I tied it onto a tennis ball and I practiced swinging and practicing and eventually I made the team. But it was it was because of early on in sports that, you know, and, and how terrible I was at them that I had to, you know, figure out how to, to win, not by any talents or gifts, but rather just by hard work and by. You know um, and by practicing,
1: that's fascinating, and it's, it's really interesting how those moments can define us and, and, and create a path for us. So just before we wrap up with a final question, yeah. could you tell us when when is the book going to be available? When can people get their hands on the book?
0: Yeah, awesome. So it's available October fourth. Uh, it will be uh, it's available in English. Uh, God willing, like nothing to lose. It'll be worldwide. And I do want to tell your audience. I need as much support as I can get in this. Uh, I'm actually giving away a tremendous amount of my time to charities to support those people having rock bottom related events right now. And I also want to use this as an opportunity to classify a whole new uh, section or a whole new uh, meaning of rock stars, rock stars that are, you know, rock star single mothers, rock star uh, millennial entrepreneurs, rock stars like yourself. So, you know, I, I really want this book to get as far and as wide as it possibly can, because I really want to make change. And that's my purpose in life is I want to influence and help change, you know, millions, if not billions of people as a result of the things that I've learned and teach the things that I've learned. So by you buying this book or sharing it, you're really helping support me and my purpose uh, on this planet. And, and it really helps me a lot. And I really am grateful for it.
1: We're behind you, brother. We'll be sharing this Thank far you. and wide. So the, Thank final, you. the final closing question is, what does it mean to be unstoppable to you, Ryan?
0: Yeah. You know, uh, all right, I'll tell you what it means. So, you know, having just visited my mother in the ICU, uh, somebody I had to go uh, onto a TV show and they're like, how are you doing it? I'm like, well, you know, here's the deal. I get knocked down. And I get back up and I get knocked down. And I get back up and I get knocked down and I get back up. But I will never, never knock it back up. You might hold me down. I might be down for a minute. I might fall down on my own. If I can get back up, I'm going to get back up. And, and don't, you know, and, and trust me on that. I've done it a number of times. So that to me means unstoppable. You get knocked down and you get back up and that is it. And once you get knocked down, you might get up a little dizzier, but eventually you're going to find your footing and you're going to be smarter and hopefully not get knocked down with that same punch because you learned how to, you learned how to uh, absorb it, dodge it, or not receive it in the first place.
1: <laughs> thank you, man. And thank you so much, Ryan, for unleashing your greatness on the supple podcast today. I cannot wait to awesome. share this episode and support the book. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much for for it today.
0: Uh, yeah, great meeting you and feel free to reach out anytime. And I'd love to connect directly with any of the audience out there. So thank you so much. Are you ready to become a rock star in
1: your industry? I am so, so inspired by Ryan's story. And I'm ready to apply some of the lessons that Ryan Carney shared with the support tribe today in my own life and business. I was very fortunate to receive an advanced copy of Ryan's new book, Rock Bottom to Rockstar Lessons from the Business School of Hard Knocks, which is released on October the 4th. And I can tell you it's absolutely mind-blowing. And I encourage you to get the book for yourself. Ryan has put together some amazing bonuses for those who pre-order the book. I've got no financial incentive for sharing this. All the proceeds of Ryan's book is going to going to causes. And you can access these amazing bonuses in the pre-launch over at www.ryanblair.com forward slash pre-order. That's www.ryanblair.com forward slash pre-order. Pre dash order the link will be in the show notes so do go over to danjgregory.com forward slash 68 to make sure you get a copy of the book there and i've read hundreds of business books in my lifetime and by the end of the first chapter of this book i was blown away and i'll be sharing some of my own takeaways from the book over the next week or so in conjunction with this episode so be sure to join the unstoppable mastermind group on facebook over at unstoppablepodcast.com forward slash tribe or go directly to the unstoppable mastermind on facebook Please do help me to help Ryan by sharing the book and sharing this episode with others to play your part in helping the book to hit number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list and use the hashtag, hashtag RB2RS to show your support. That's hashtag RB2RS. Finally, as promised at the beginning of today's episode, I will now hold a one-minute silence for my dear friend Stefan Otto, who sadly passed away last month. I encourage you to join me to take just one minute to appreciate all the things and all the people that you're most grateful for. Take some time to breathe in all the blessings in your life and send love to everyone that you care about. This is for you, Stefan, my man. Rest in peace, brother. I love you. All right, folks, if you're still here, thank you so much for sharing the one minute silence. Until next time, go out there, unleash your greatness, build your empire, make your impact and live your ultimate life. You are unstoppable.